Everyday peacemakers are not professional humanitarians. We're everyday people who are learning to see God and ourselves in others. We're daring to step off the road of comfort and immerse into reality. In the face of injustice, conflict, and violence, we are choosing to contend, not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Everyday peacemakers are everyday people who are embedded within a world divided by difference, and these are our stories. Welcome to Everyday Peacemaking, a global immersion podcast hosted by Haley Mitsui, Jer Swigert, and myself, John Huckins. And as always, we're going to jump into the conversation with a question of the week. This week's question is, um, just wanted to hear a little bit about your first email address and or AIM, depending on how Mm. old you are. I'm so glad you integrated that last piece in, Hales, because... (laughs) You know, I have a lot of memories of the dial-up. Anyone else remember going from the 14.4 to the, what was the next one up from that? No, I do not remember that. 28.8, no. I think, I guess. No one I remembers this? Attention to that. I just remember no. getting the a- AOL CDs oh. in the mail. Yeah, you clog up your parents' phone line and then... Well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that I was... That. Anyway... Okay. At that same time, I got my first email, and it was johnnyboy4 at juno.com. Ooh. I'm happy to put that public because I don't even know if it exists anymore. Um, it's like CompuServe, and and uh, I felt like it was an important part of my identity building, as was the way I used it on AIM because that was how I chatted with all my pals after <laughs> my parents were asleep. the briefest story? What's the story behind it? Behind Johnny Boy 4? Is there one? It's behind, it, it's that Johnny Boy is what my friends called me and 1, 2, and 3 were taken. So <laughs> you end up with 4. Oh, There's the briefest amazing. story, my friend. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Hales, what about you, Hales? I'm very annoyed because yours just, that feels a little too just normal to me. My first <laughs> um, AIM slash email was... Smile Asian style 013. Okay. <laughs> wow. But Asian was spelled AZN. Smile AZN style <laughs> 013. But it was also my signature that I signed all of my notes with, like in elementary mm-hmm. school. It would be a big S. Yeah, and I then follow. The, the S would be like the S for smile, Asian, and style. Wow. That was yeah. that was how I signed all of my notes that I, I folded that. Artisan. into. And the number? What's with the number? Well, 13's always been my favorite number, except for now it's three. I've dropped the one. Now I'm just on with the three. But the three. I think, I don't know why 013, maybe Smile Asian Style 13 was already taken, but I highly oh, doubt wow. it. I love it. Wow. Well, mine mine was JDog25, spelled J-D-A-W-G. Of course. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> We knew that was coming. Of course. <laughs> 20, 24 or 25 because J-Dogs 1 through 24 were taken. <laughs> there you go. 25, 25 was just my hockey number. So J-Dog 25 at Hotmail.com. Ooh. Oh, man. Way to retain that identity from the interwebs all the way to the ice rink. Oh, I do remember those days, though, like. Some of my other friends, their parents got them their own phone lines so that, you know, they could be on the internet while and have the phone line, but not my parents. Nope. One phone line. Really just a juggling of who was getting oh, to use it. Lots of busy signals. Lots of busy We've signals. We've come a long way. Mm-hmm. We have. 
we've come a long way. Well, thanks for sharing that. Today we are going to jump into a conversation with Samuel Choi. Uh, he is a local practitioner here in San Diego, but he does a way better job of introducing himself than me. So let's just hop in. Samuel, it's so good to have you today. Um, I would actually just love for us to dive in. Do you mind introducing yourself and where, you know, where you're located? Sure. Thanks, Haley, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Um, my name is Samuel Choi, and I am a resident here in the Claremont neighborhood of San Diego. Um, my wife and I just welcomed our third son, our third kid, our first son, uh, a couple of months ago in the beginning of Exciting. this pandemic. Exciting. Oh, congratulations. So we're parents of three. We have two other girls. Um, and uh, we've been living here for the last six years or so. And before this, I was living in Boston, where I grew up. And my parents and I uh, immigrated here uh, when I was eight years old from Hong Kong to New York. Um, but I grew up mostly in Boston and um, came out here uh, to be close to my wife's side of the family. Um, and also, you know, obviously sick of the snow. Uh, who doesn't want to be living in San Diego? Um, and, I, and I now work at the UC San Diego um, School of Global Policy and Strategy, and I help manage a center called the 21st Century China Center, which has to do with um, U.S.-China relations, which I personally embody that conflict of U.S.-China and mm. what that entails, but also the possibilities of what cooperation and um, collaboration can look like. So I do that in my day job, and uh, I also work a lot in the immigrant rights world um, and really is um, a continuation of the work that I've been doing uh, when I was in Boston, uh, working on immigration policy, uh, working in Asian American civic organizations. Um, so yeah, I, I wear a couple of different hats professionally, but I, I always see myself as a bridge builder, as mm. um, a peacemaker uh, in, 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 in a way that uh, a lot of what you and um, Global Immersion Project is trying to do and trying to train others, I, I really see myself as part of that movement of people that are trying to um, uh, be in the areas where it is, uh, there is a lot of conflict and there's a lot of um, injustice and just trying to be a, a presence that can hopefully bring people together mm. to not just solve problems, but to really kind of transcend some of the the, the conflict that is always so, um, that bugs us so much. And mm. so whether I am in a professional or community setting, I always remind myself of that part of my calling. Yeah, well, and that was one of the reasons why I reached out to you about being on our podcast was because when I first met you, I didn't honestly even know what your actual nine to five was. <laughs> like, I knew that I overlapped with you in all these different circles and especially within immigration, but I, and so I think I could tell there is just this, um, you have, like you said, this passion that transcends job and you see your vocation as being moving towards, um, people in our community who are experiencing pain. And that is very much what we see as, as everyday peacemakers. So thanks for being willing to hop into this conversation. 
I would love just for you to share a little bit more about, you know, you, you mentioned you moved to San Diego from Boston six years ago. And, and I'd love to hear you just share more about the needs that you saw moving into this new space. And also that process of, I mean, a lot of us see needs all around us, but what was it that compelled you to start moving into those as, as like a problem solver, as someone who was wanting to move towards those needs with, with real solutions? Yeah, actually, fresh on my mind this morning is the Supreme Court case on DACA. Um, And I remember very well, uh, back in 2012, I was working in uh, the immigrant rights movement in Boston as a policy analyst uh, for a nonprofit. And, uh, you know, for, for that whole couple of years, we were working, obviously, for the DREAM Act and the Comprehensive Immigration Reform but also on the local level, we were uh, trying to advocate for in-state tuition for undocumented students. And so I remember being packed in this really um, tight room in some co-working space uh, in Chinatown, Boston. And there was a bunch of people who were dreamers, uh, young people that were just waiting. We were sitting there waiting for the announcement from President Obama. Um, and it was a bittersweet moment, you know, because there was a lot of tears, a lot of crying, a lot of hugging, um, a lot of happy, a lot of happiness, a lot of joy. But we knew that was only a temporary solution. Um, and it, it really will take um, federal uh, law and legislation to actually solve this problem and to provide opportunities both for the young people who are the dreamers and also their parents. Um, and so... I was thinking about this all morning and um, the people that were in the room and the lives that were impacted ever since, you know, in terms of real tangible impact, right? They, they were able to uh, be shielded from fear of deportation. Uh, they were able to work um, and contribute to our uh, society. And these are all very local also effects, right? These are people that are working in our hospitals, people working in our schools, people working in our small businesses. Um, and so that was really a, a moment and also those few years of understanding all immigration, like all politics, is local. Um, and it, 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 we can definitely have this debate that we ought to have on the federal level when, when it comes down to the actual effects of people on the ground, um, city um, leaders, um, mayors, city council people, um, nonprofit leaders, um, directors of you know higher education institutions. These people who are really on the ground every day, they're the ones who are actually making um, can make a big impact on the lives um, and the opportunities that immigrants have to succeed. So when I did move out to San Diego. Um, I actually didn't have a job lined up, but I was really hopeful and optimistic that, hey, of course, I'm moving to a, a border town. This is California. There's a lot of immigrants. There's a lot of needs. Uh, I probably wouldn't um, find difficulty in getting a job in that field. But it actually took me a year of finding a job, and I didn't get a job in, in, in immigration. Um, I'm grateful for the position that I do have in, in UC San Diego and and again, earlier, I do see peacemaking, obviously, in, in that um, capacity from that vantage point of U.S.-China relations. 
Um, but it's the everyday uh, of like, okay, man, like I feel like an immigrant again. You know, here I am. I, I spent all these years, uh, you know, working hard to assimilate to America. I finally felt like a Bostonian. You know, I had Red Sox hat and Celtics <laughs> jersey all the time. And I, I felt very much as an American, but also as a Bostonian. Mm-hmm. And I think coming to San Diego was another shock in terms of like, oh, man, I have to figure out, like, who am I? And and relive a little bit of that immigrant experience. And I think that actually propelled me to go go out and, and seek out, okay, what are the immigrant communities like here, you know, in terms of the makeup, like what kind of refugee uh, communities are, what kind of conflict they came from. Um, and then being at the border, you know, I'm like, man, like I, I obviously know it in my head about the, the issues of the border, but being in Massachusetts, I wasn't that close to the reality. And so being here really opened my eyes, both in terms of the challenges of, you know, detention facilities, all the um, terrible kind of uh, for-profit industry that's really embedded into our um, immigration system that is harming people, um, separating families, um, but also the, the real possibilities of transporter uh, living and lifestyle and that people are um, transcending borders in many ways in terms of how people live here in the greater binational region. So I learned a lot just by that first year of looking for jobs and you know being interviewed and interviewing others about what the work is like here on the ground in terms of nonprofits, in terms of different organizations. And so um, when I finally did get a, a job, I, I realized, hey, I have this privilege of being at a university. I have an income now. What can I really contribute? You know, I'm not a social worker. I'm not a mental health therapist, which I know a lot of people are doing, especially nowadays, you know, we, in terms of really responding to the needs of immigrants. Um, but I, I know what I, I know in terms of what works in the city, um, in the local policy level. Um, and I know how you know, a few million dollars here from the city, um, uh, a few efforts there in terms of uh, nonprofits and business coming together goes a long way in making sure that immigrants have the latter success. I mean, I'm a beneficiary of um, English language learning in the K-12 system. Um, you know, how do we do that better, you know, in, in the school system? So I was asking all those questions and that all kind of culminated into um, creating this strategic plan called Welcoming San Diego, where I just had the privilege of working with so many people, you know, across the political spectrum, people that normally are not at the table, they're now together speaking somewhat of this, of some same language in terms of positive contributions to immigrants. So then we're not always playing defense. We're not always defending, you know, what's coming out of the federal government, which of course we need to do that in this, in this time. But we can play a little offense. We can actually think and be creative and think, envision what this prosperity and and uh, flourishing look like for our community, and start dreaming about things that we can do in the school system, in the public safety, in small business, and 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 local economic development. So those are some of the things that I really feel like, you know, as in terms of peacemaking, bringing together all the different uh, parts of the community. Uh, left and right, you know, grassroots establishment. Um, how do we 
come together and, and, and think more positively and creatively to actually solve some of these problems. That's amazing. And just, just also another reminder that this is all the work you're doing outside of your nine to five job. I'm curious, like, what have you learned about yourself? You, you, you reference a little bit about, you know, your story as an immigrant, maybe helping move you towards, you know, the immigrant community in San Diego. But what have you learned about yourself in the process of, of helping San Diego organize in around the immigrant community? Yeah, I learned that I can be able to listen to different perspectives about whatever issue that we're working on. So the issue that we're working on on immigration. Um, but because I, I was new to town and because I, I was trying to do things in a way that is outside of kind of the political campaigns or even policy uh, movements. It's just, just to be pragmatic and say, look, these are the people that are living in our city. How do we make sure that they are in an upward mobile trajectory? Um, and just being able to both be pragmatic, but also understanding that's actually one of the ways that we can bring uh, people together so that they can still have their own stance on whatever they think the border should look like or how we should admit or not admit certain immigrants. But um, I, I feel like being doing this work, I was able to be in, in, a, in a place where um, I can bring these desperate voices together and people who might think differently, but they can suspend some of those disagreements um, and come together around the same table. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of, part of it is, a lot of it is my drive as just being an immigrant and, and wanting, wanting immigrants to, to not be presented in such a negative light in the media, not wanting immigrants to always be seen as a problem, but actually seen as an opportunity. And if we don't take advantage of this opportunity of immigrants being in our city, then uh, we're missing out. Um, the moment that people don't want to move to San Diego or don't want to immigrate to America, that's probably, we're a little too late. And so right now we need to take advantage of the fact that people are, are here and they're contributing um, and they're making our, our place more dynamic. Mm. Samuel, that's, thank you so much for sharing that journey with us. You are a blessing to this city. We're grateful to have. Have, know that you're working behind the scenes to make this a more welcoming place. Thanks, and good to know that you're a neighbor and partner and fellow person on the journey as well. Hales, that was an incredible conversation uh, with Samuel. The, one of the things I wanna, I wanna highlight at the very beginning is the way that he identified his body, his life, his experience as, as both the challenge and the opportunity, you know, and then he, there's something about the way that he understands his own ethnic identity, his story of immigration to the United States from Hong Kong, that that in many ways, I think, set the tone for him to understand himself as a bridge builder. I embody in my flesh opportunity and challenge, making me a bridge builder, and then it fuels him into a, a lifestyle, uh, a way of life of everyday peacemaking that in, he, in his own words says, it transcends my nine to five. This is the way that I want to show up. And I was just so right off the bat saying, if we could figure out how to identify ourselves 
as the embodiment of opportunity and challenge, how that might not help us understand our everyday vocation as peacemakers, wherever we find ourselves. Yeah, I think too on that, the the way, you know, at one point you asked him, Haley, how did you, how did you discern what you need to engage? And his response was simply just tracing back to his own identity. You know, I think oftentimes, what do we do? Like, I, I'm a Christian. I have to do X, Y, and Z to perform my way, blah, blah, blah. And like we, we either jump into that hero complex where we just kind of force ourselves onto an impacted community or whatever it might be. But for him, he's just simply saying, this is who I am as an immigrant. I'm familiar with this story. I'm familiar with the kinds of questions and concerns and the plight of immigrants. And so he, like the way he communicated just becoming a student of immigrants as an immigrant in San Diego and seeing that as an all of life commitment again that transcended nine to five, even though that even intersected with his nine or nine to five, was exactly um, whether we're connecting from an identity that's rooted in ethnicity or identity just simply rooted in who we are as humans. That's the journey. Like who are we created to be, and live out of that, and that'll help us guide towards the the pain that we're supposed to show up in. Yeah. At one point, he and I jotted down because it just it, it resonated with me. I know what I know. And I think it was when he was talking about moving here from Boston and seeing this need. And he was like, well, I know what I know. So I'm going to I'm I'm going to move towards this immigrant community. And 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 I was like, oh, it's so simple, because oftentimes we see situations and we think I need to read a book. I need to learn more. And and we have to obviously be mindful and responsible. We can't just go bullheaded into um, a situation that we know nothing about. But it's like he wasn't saying, oh, until I hit these points, I can move into it. He's like, I know what I know. And that gave him the confidence to move into the spaces that he knew he was supposed to be in that God was calling him into. Um, and I, I, that just, for whatever reason, that just really struck me. Cause I think we often give ourselves a lot of excuses to not move and not move forward and to think we don't know enough, but we know what we know. Yeah. Can I, I like, I like it. Can I wonder with us about that? Cause you know, thinking about this from the perspective of um, of a racialized society that we live in right now, um, and and particularly in these moments of time where the racial divides are are more poignant, are hotter, are more on people's minds than usual, what you just said, Hales, made made me wonder: like, is this part of this part of the struggle of whiteness? Is we are so, we so few of us are actually proximate to the pain that we, we, we don't feel it. We don't quote unquote know it. And so in, in moments in time where things begin to crescendo and intensify, our immediate impulse is to read a book, uh, to educate ourselves, which to your point is a good idea and also exposes the fact that, um, that we don't, we're out of we're out of touch. Many of us are out of touch. We're out of proximity. We're out of solidarity, making our learning curve very high. You know what I'm saying? Like, would you interact with that a little bit? Because on the one hand, I really, really applaud our desire to learn about and get in the trenches, and on the other hand, I'm I'm worried about the fact that we haven't been in the trenches for far too long. No, I think that's an important wondering, and and we also often talk about. Or we hear people talking about intent versus impact, you know? And so that's why even as I 
I think it's a good thing to wonder about because it's probably not a universal rule for everyone. Yeah, on the proximity piece, I, I, I mean, it seems to be the antidote to so much of our our ignorance and also our paralysis and also our hero complex. It just sh- it shifts everything out of the economy of either heady academia or overly toxic activism that only yells and, and posts on social media, and it moves us into what it just means to show up with someone you care about. And it grows our empathy. It grows our eyes. It grows, and that leads to growing our minds. It, it's, it's a different starting point of formation, which leads to a different way that we show up in the midst of pain. And, and, it's, and it's way more costly because it doesn't go away, right? When you're in proximity with a community and they're, you're in a relationship, and like he's embodying now, especially, uh, you know, he was talking about building, helping the city build a position that that advocates for immigrants. That takes months and years of faithful practice and proximity with that community to see systems change. It wasn't just a one-off uh, that he came and you know woke up the city about some issue. It's and even after the after the interview, he stayed on with us and talked about how how challenging that's been and to stay in that space. That's the that's the work. So taking his conversation through the lenses of see, immerse, contend, and restore, I, I want to I bring a couple things to the surface that I was listening to. And we always talk about how the practices of see and immerse are oftentimes a yin and yang. Um, we're not always sure, like, do you see first and then you immerse, or are you immerse and then because of your immersion, you start to see more clearly. But he, when he moved uh, from Boston to San Diego, um, it, it, it's like he, it, he demanded of himself that he became fluent in his place. Uh, and I, what I love, I want to raise up, like he, he, he didn't say this, but he, he mentioned how he, he went to the places where the impacted communities were creating and commenting on culture. Um, he went to those spaces and he probably sat in the back of the room for a long time to listen and start to become fluent in his place in that way. So I think that's a unique practice to raise to the surface. And then with regard to contend, um, he, he basically said, I know what tools that are in my hands. Like I know the tools I have. And as he began to become fluent because of his seeing and immersing, he began to understand how he can begin to deploy those tools that were already in his hands. And so I, I appreciated um, thinking about it in that way. Let's get into the space. Let's listen and learn. Let's pay attention to the tools that are in our hands and let's deploy them based on what we're hearing. I think, too, on the, the you know, the contend piece, what, what, something really popped to me. You know, when we talk about contend, it's, this is actually rolling up our sleeves and, and, and helping to dismantle broken systems that are breaking people. It's getting creative and loved, not walking away from the pain. He talked about uh, the, 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 the impact of federal law and policy is important, but what makes lives change every single day is local practice and simply showing up. Nonprofit leaders, church leaders, academic leaders, it's the everyday folks that made the change possible, specifically in the life of the immigrant community, as he was mentioning. But I think that's a really important piece as we think about contending. There's a, there's a systemic change that has to happen, and that's flushed out through every day showing up. Yeah, the, and then let's not forget that he said it's not always about defense, that it's also about offense. It's about getting creative in love. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what he's doing in this marriage of advocacy work and local presence and practice. So that was, a, that was good. That was a good reminder to us. It's so good to process what Samuel was sharing. For me, the reminder that peacemaking pours out of our identity and also that our vocation transcends our nine to five is just amazing things for me to sit with. 
So friends, God's restoration is happening. Now go and participate in it and know that you are not alone. For more information on the work of Global Immersion, visit globalimmerse.org. Music in this episode was by King's Kaleidoscope and The Eagle and Child. This podcast is produced by Global Immersion and Adventure Vision Productions. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your excellent podcasts.